Amen. I'm telling you, I love uh, creativity. Brian uh, just does a phenomenal job with these things. I remember when I did this message on Peter, I, I was kind of grinning from ear to ear. I could not believe that he put that together the night before. For those of you that are fishermen in the group, would that be kind of cool to be able to just walk out on the water? Bag the boat, man. You know, you got that nasty kelp you got to deal with if you got a propeller. and Anyway, it's kind of what I was thinking about while I was singing it, but uh, probably not, not the most spiritual connotation of things there at that point in time. But I'm super excited about uh, the message today, uh, just kind of looking at the book of James. James is my second favorite book in the Bible. Uh, Hebrews would probably have to be one of my, my favorite books. So we know last week Tony Kettering did an incredible job uh, talking about standing the test. And he walked through a number of different things like reliance, faith, perspective, patience. Different areas that we can be challenged on in our lives. But through God, through God's word, it gives us the incredible ability to stand the test in each of those areas. Um, it's kind of cool. A couple of weeks ago, we uh, had a group of guys that went up and uh, did a little camping up at Lake Casitas. I know that... Uh, well, there's, a, there, there's kind of the Motley crew right there. But we, we had a great time. Uh, I have a feeling we had a, mo- a few moms were probably a little concerned as their uh, kids came back and probably didn't recognize them because of the different color they were coming home after all the uh, rolling around in the dirt and everything else that was going on up there. But just an incredible time of bonding, uh, late nights, jokes, fires. Uh, you know, we had... Uh, Nico Wingy, who was getting ready to go storm one of the campsites across the way from us, and that there was a uh, a family that um, had some music that was going that probably wouldn't be something that's on any of our playlists. A lot of expletives, and he goes, "Man, I'm going over there and telling that guy to turn it off." Thinking, okay, uh, Nico, um, I don't know that that's something I'd be doing unless I had an M16 or something. I was, I was making my way across the uh, campsite there. It was a Rather interesting group, but needless to say, that got resolved with time, and uh, we had a great time. There was a lot of rumors that were floating around. You know, you know it's just amazing, those rumors. Um, you know, something about Calvin Johnson, Dr. Johnson, you know, about how uh, he was coming up and basically had a, got a group of guys that were set up, they were going to have his tent set, have his inflated mattress at about 48 PSI. Pounds per square inch, you know, he's kind of likes dialing into a certain number there. And then, you know, where, where were the deeds involved? Being that we're talking about faith and deeds. And I, you know, I knew there was going to be a lot of great food. I mean, we had our campsite set up. A lot of us had stoves. Some of us were doing on the fires. And uh, I do remember just this incredible, absolutely off the hook set of ribs that somebody brought. I, I think that was Dr. Johnson. But I do have a rather incriminating photo that shows Calvin doing some work. Maybe not. <laughs> he was actually helping me fold up the mat that was under our tent when it was all said and done. Now, I don't know what it is about those Johnsons, man, but uh, Jen Johnson, you know, she was talking about how cush it was and that, you know, what we were doing wasn't camping and this, that, and the other, and... You know, then I sent her a a picture of this, you know, kind of small fish that I caught. And uh, Jen's response was, who did you pay to borrow that from so you could take the picture? (laughs) 
You know, the, the, the sad thing at this point in time, other than the fact that I'm a Christian, and hopefully with that there comes some belief, is that there was nobody that saw me catch this fish. But, but the fish, needless to say. I remember texting Jackie about it, and, uh, well, man, I'm, I'm having a great day fishing today, and she's all, nah, the fish, not so much. I do catch and release, though, so he's, he's back out there waiting for the next person to come get him. But, you know, that is what we're going to be talking about today. The, uh, we're coming out of our action lesson series. And uh, it's Walk the Talk, Putting Faith into Action. You know, and as I said, this is one of my most favorite books in the Bible. And I think there's a, a lot of reasons for it. I think ultimately, in reading the book of James, James is a book that's really helped me keep on track in a lot of different ways. It's a very short book, total of five chapters, very concise uh, it's a book of salva- about salvation, really, and one of the things that was taking place at the time that the book was written was that just within a few years of the church being dispersed, there were a lot of things that were starting to float around out there that could ultimately lead people to hell. And, and some of those things were when it came to faith and grace and mercy and the fact that Because of God's mercy, there's absolutely nothing we need to do. Once we're saved, we're saved. That's the long and the short of it. And the ultimate thing with having a right relationship with God is our love for God should be motivation in and of itself to do what God has called us to. And I know we we talk about making the transition from the law of the Old Testament, you know, the Old, Old Testament, the Old Covenant, to the New Testament and the Gospel. But I put before you today, the reality of the gospel is, the gospel is law. It's the new law that we have with the advent of Christ. The difference between the two laws is the old law was imperfect. There was absolutely no way to get right with God without continual sacrifice every time you messed up. And there was no perfect sacrifice. Even the high priest that would go into the temple to, to offer up a sacrifice for the community had to go in and offer up a sacrifice for himself first to get right with God before he could do that for everyone else. Obviously, salvation stops with Jesus Christ. The gospel's phenomenal. Jesus is the end all to having a right relationship with God. If, obviously, first and foremost, we adhere to his plan for salvation and all the things that come into having a right relationship with him. But this is a thing that James went after very aggressively in this letter. More than likely, through the dispersion, it went out to all the churches. We don't see it being designated to a specific church. Uh, as Tony said last week, James is the brother of Jesus. Uh, it was amazing even seeing the transition in his life. And we know that earlier on, he was one of the family members who thought Jesus was whacked. That Jesus was out of his mind. Couldn't understand his dedication, the things that he stood for, the issues that he had, the persecution that he went through, not having a place that he could even call home, uh, you know, not sitting down to meals at regular times, but being more focused on other people. And it's so incredible to see that because of the lifestyle, Jesus' lifestyle, his life and deeds, his faith and deeds, his walk and talk, James goes on to be an incredible apostle, leading the church in Jerusalem, ultimately being beheaded at around 50 A.D. So it's just amazing to see how this man could go from not being a believer, being a skeptic, to one that was willing to lay his own life down for the gospel, the good news, 
the life of Jesus Christ. You know, and I think as we go through the book as Christians, it can be a very challenging book. I think as we go through chapter 2, part of chapter 2 today, you may find yourself at a crossroads. And that crossroads may be one of two things, where you see the areas in your own life where maybe you've drifted from the faith that you've claimed, but because of your lifestyle, it doesn't measure up. And that's an incredible place to be if you acknowledge it as such, because What takes place when we realize that we're not walking in accordance with what God calls us to if we have the right heart? Repentance. Change. So it can be a crossroads that will lead to one of two things. If you hear God's calling today, it can be a call to repentance. But if you're hard-hearted, it could be Satan's calling to you to continue in a life of complacency. A life that is ignorant to what God calls us to in the Scriptures. Next slide, please. We're going to start out in um, James chapter 2, verse 12. And for me, there's a reason for that. Most of us, if you look through your chapter, what takes place in chapter, uh, or verse 14? Is there a little sub-caption in there? Faith and deeds in some of the Bibles. Anybody have anything differently, different than that? You know, I think this, this could be a little bit of a problem sometimes with the Bible and the way that it's broken into verses and the little subtopics and all and that. A lot of times we can just go to that faith and deeds part of things. I don't recall really ever hearing verse 12 preached. And I think there's some great things that comes out of these two verses here. In verse 12, it says, So whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. And there may be a reason for that. I don't know about you, I don't like laws. Any of you ever had any problems with laws in your life? You know, we had some uh, friends of ours that came down from Ventura today to spend some time with us. It almost had me miss my leaders meeting because on the way down, they ended up getting busted by the police. Uh, He's got a Mercedes Benz, it's got that ultra black double limo tint. And uh, he got stopped and probably didn't have the uh, greatest interaction with the police and they Cops started doing a walk around, and there were a number of, they were all fix-it tickets, but there were a number of things that were wrong with his car. You know, didn't have the front license plate holder, uh, ended up having custom plates on the car that didn't go with the car. I mean, there was a whole laundry list of things that he had to correct. So, you know, there, there's aspects of the law that we really don't like, and in a lot of ways, I think we, we try to get off of the fact that, you know, even though it is a New Testament, even though it is a gospel, a new will, a new covenant, we don't like the fact that Jesus still calls us to adhere to his teachings. And we've got to be careful with that. So again, whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you'll be judged by the law. That The upside of this is, what does this law do? It sets us free. And I think the thing that's so incredible about it is it sets us free in this life today as well as for eternity. You know, if we live in accordance with the law, what Jesus established... Teens, what does that mean for you in your daily walk? You know, if you adhere to the Word, you're not going to have the mess in your lives that so many of us usher in because we don't understand what God calls us to. We don't take a stand. We don't have a convictions. And I appreciate our youth taking that kind of stand, being a contrast. And ultimately, it really ties into the next verse here, which it says, it goes on and says, there will be no, oops, I'm sorry, no, same, same slide, please says, there will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you've been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. You know, to me, to be merciful means to bring someone else relief. Which is incredible. 
And I, I truly believe our youth in this group, our teens, our singles, wherever they're at, school, workplace, they are an oasis. Our marriage, our family ministry, we are an oasis to a lost world if we adhere to what God establishes. I'm here because somebody realized that I needed help. Somebody was merciful. Somebody understood that I needed relief. And when we take a stand on the Scriptures, when we are men and women of conviction about what we see in God's Holy Word and the example that we have through Jesus Christ, who do we imitate? We imitate Christ. We become salt to a lost world. We become a light to a lost world. We help other people see that there's hope in a lost world. And that's what Jesus expects from us. That's what Jesus wants. In James 1, verse 25, it reads, But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. You know, I think just really having a conviction here today that our words and actions will be judged by the law. And again, you know, judgment doesn't excite me, but one of the things that I am excited about with God is it's clear. I mean, there, there is something we can look to for direction. It's not like, you know, we're getting hit with some pop quiz on the day that we die and it's hit or miss as to whether or not we're going to get into heaven or not. We, we know that if we've been baptized with the forgiveness of sins, if we take a stand for what we see in the Scriptures, if we're men and women of conviction, that same mercy that's talked about here will be extended to us. You know, and I think the other thing, just really understanding this, if we don't bring relief... We won't get relief. And really embracing that concept individually. You know, there's, there's, you know, all the little euphemisms and things that are out there. There's the WWJD. What would Jesus do? I think honestly, the thing that's more important is what did Jesus do? Not what he would do, but what did he do? We've got more than enough there to look at without being concerned about what he would do. And that needs to cross over to us with you know, instead of the uh, W, what would Jesus do? W, D, W, D. What did we do? You know, when we saw that person in the store, what did we do passing somebody on campus? What's the stand that we take? And are we a light? Do we give people something to see as a contrast so they understand that, you know, we're not just like all the other Christians out there that claim it, but aren't walking it. That's what we're called to. You know, WDID, what did I do today as a Christian? See, and I think we have this degree of awareness. This sets us up to continue in the faith in the right way, having a life of incredible impact and purpose. Next slide. James 2, verse 14. says, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it? By your actions. Can this kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye and have a good day. Stay well, or stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now someone may argue, some people have faith, Others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my deeds. You know, in that very first verse, 
What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? We know what the answer is. What's the answer? No. How about a little bit more emphatically? What's the answer? No. We, we need to really believe that. Because faith in and of itself isn't going to accomplish anything. But it's that faith coupled with the actions. We need to understand that one is absolutely meaningless without the other. Next slide. See, we need to understand that our faith needs to be mirrored by our deeds. This should be when you can't have one without the other. You see faith, you see deeds. You see deeds, you see faith. It's a reflection. You know, 1 Timothy 4.16, we're all familiar with the passage. Persevere in both your life and doctrine. If you do, you'll save what? Both yourself and your hearers. It's walk and talk. It's faith and deeds. Faith accompanied by action. Next slide. You know, a number of years ago, Jackie and I lived out in Santa Rosa Valley. And below the pool there, we had about a third of an acre. And it was an agricultural area, so we had water that came in from an agricultural standpoint that was super, super inexpensive. And there were ways of getting tax deductions above and beyond. One of the things I was thinking about doing at the time was putting in avocado trees. But that just kind of seemed boring to me. And, uh, you know, we had some weather issues. The frost would come through and, and kill off a lot of these trees. So, being Italian, what, what does every good Italian want to have in their backyard? Vineyard, baby. So I started, you know, doing a little research. I didn't know if it was feasible or not, but I did a little research. And back when I was managing Hummer, I, I had a buddy that uh, was friends with the uh, individuals that have Malibu vineyards up in the Santa Monica Mountains, which... It's a gold prize, award-winning wine. They've won all kinds of contests internationally. And he said to me, he goes, well, I can can give you the stuff to put in the ground. I can set you up with the vines. I'm thinking, awesome. He goes, just come on down in December. Uh, We've got some stuff we're going to be pruning back, and I'll totally hook you up. So, um, next slide, please. I I head on down, and, uh, you know, it was definitely kind of a faith issue at that point. Go ahead and... uh, Click the next one through. Definition of faith here is confidence or trust in a person or thing. Faith in another's ability. Next. Belief that is not based on proof. He had faith that the hypothesis would be substantiated by fact. Next slide. I went down to uh, where their vineyards were. And he gave me a bunch of these. Actually, he gave me pruning shears and told me I needed to prune them about a foot in length, look for something that's about the width of a straw, gave me some plastic bags and some sawdust, had me moisten the sawdust, and told me to put them in my refrigerator till March. And I looked at him and I'm like, what? Come on. I, you know, I'm thinking I'm going to get these little things, the little green leaves coming out of them, you know, in the little planter, and I just pop them into the ground. And, you know, so I, I took the stuff home, put it in the refrigerator, I remember Jackie coming in the house. So what the heck is that junk in the refrigerator? And I'm all, it's my vineyard. And she just kind of looked at me like, yeah, right. But you know, when it came to the whole faith and deeds thing, I mean, there was a lot of effort that went into this. And I honestly wasn't 100% sure based on a lot of factors like the soil, my gardening skills, whether or not these things would do anything. So, you know, I mean, we're, I put in a thousand feet of irrigation. I dug 150 uh, pulse holes for my trellises. 
uh, about 40 end anchor trellises, wire through all of them, um, not to mention the digging out of all the, the brush that was about my height. I did hire Joe Nealon and Steve, my son Stephen to kind of help me with that part of it. I, I, you know, the, the, the other part of it was, was kind of fun. But it took me probably about a month to prepare the soil, get everything in, and then it was just a matter of literally putting my finger into the soil and popping these in. I'm thinking, okay, this is really going to turn into something. Next slide. And again, the, the, the key here is deeds and action. Something that is done, performed, or accomplished, an act. Do a good deed every day. An exploit or achievement. Feet, brave deeds. Often deeds are an act or gesture, especially as uh, illustrative of intentions, one's character, or the like. Her deeds speak for themselves. Next slide. Needless to say that these wonderful little twigs turned into 150 Cabernet vines. At the end of three years, there were about 50 to 70 pounds of grapes on each vine. But, you know, again, a stick. And what I put before you this afternoon is, guys, this is what we are with just faith. It looks like a dead piece of wood. But if we're willing to adhere to the good news, the gospel, the new law that we have through Jesus Christ, guess what? That's what each and every one of us can produce spiritually. Amen? Next slide. See, faith appears in the Bible 270 times total. And I was a little surprised at the disparity between Old Testament and New Testament. It appears 250 times, 54 times in the New Testament alone. Next slide. When it comes to actions or works, this blew me away even a little bit more because, you know, we've thrown these numbers out there from, from time to time. You know, disciple appears 207 times. This appears so many times. Actions and works appear over 651 times in the Bible. And it's kind of interesting, the contrast. God works. You know, in the Old Testament, God did this, God did that, God did this, God did that. God is a God of action. And then you see the transition with men, and unfortunately with men, it gets, the waters get a little cloudier. There's a lot of action. But it's not always good action. And there are good deeds... They're evil deeds. Thank God for Jesus Christ. You know, with, with the good deeds, as we know from a biblical standpoint, there are blessings. In particular, in the Old Testament, there, there was this consistency. We even know that Abraham, one of the promises that God made to Abraham was that when it comes to your lifestyle and how you live, those that bless you will be blessed, Abraham was told. Those that curse you will be cursed. We know that those who were evildoers were cursed by God. Within the New Testament, it's a matter of making sure that we're on the right side of that fence. That the actions that we have as Christians are the right actions. That we're righteous before God. That we do the right things. We take the right stand. That we go after things the way that God calls us to. Next slide. There's, a, there's several, and this is one of the things I love about the scriptures, is just the incredible continuity in the word. You know, Tony mentioned it last week, there were a number of religious leaders that thought that the book of James shouldn't be a part of the canon. There were some that tore it out of the Bible. Martin Luther was one of those initially. He came later on in life, he came to the belief that it was, there wasn't, the, the writings of James and Paul were not contradictory. And it's rather interesting, if you read what the two of them established, 
sentence structures may be a little different, but they're saying the same thing over and over and over again when it comes to faith and deeds, the lifestyle we live, the old law versus the new law, how to be right with God, the things that we need to do. And we see this here in James 1.22. It says, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. I mean, ultimately, isn't that a, a, if that's where we're at, isn't that a huge waste of time? I mean, why bother? I mean, I don't know about you, I can find a heck of a lot of other things to fill my time with, rather than just kind of pretending I'm a Christian. And it doesn't mean there haven't been those periods of time in my life. I remember when I transitioned down into Orange County, there was a lot of faith. Faith was in me. And I mean, I, I crashed and burned in a major way down there. I, I, I'd pushed God aside, there was a lot of bitterness, there were a lot of challenges that I went through. Uh, it hurt my marriage, it hurt the relationship with my kids, it hurt the people that God had entrusted me with. I never want to go down that road again. But that, that's what happens when our faith is not accompanied by the right kind of actions. If it's our faith, all of a sudden it's things like opinion that start slipping in. You know, we think we're the ends all to whatever it is that's going on out there. Our opinion is the thing that counts. Our opinion is the thing that matters. And we even start drifting from what we know is true from a scriptural standpoint. Maybe it's because we become sentimental towards a family member that isn't exactly where they need to be spiritually. And it's not a matter of being judgmental. What is, what is a matter of is making sure that we get back into the Scriptures, and that's what we're relying on for direction. That's what we're relying on for our sustenance. That's what we're relying on on maintaining that right relationship with God. Next verse. I mean, here's Paul on the same thing. Romans 2.13, For merely listening to the law doesn't make us right with God. It is obeying the law that makes us right in His sight. Next verse. John 13, verse 15, I mean, who better to hear it from than Jesus Christ himself? I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed, what? If you do them. I mean, that's pretty cut and dried. What did Jesus come to do? Jesus came to serve. It gives us an incredible example. I mean, one of my favorite things about Jesus Christ is when he's there at that Last Supper, and he sits down and he washes the feet of his apostles, knowing that Peter's going to deny him, knowing that Judas is going to betray him, and knowing that his best friends, every single one of them, would bail. Think that was something that any one of those 12 picked up on at that point in time? Man, that is such incredible, unconditional love. I mean, and that's an area I've got to grow so much more in. But I appreciate the example, and I appreciate the example we have of his men when they did get it on straight. Next slide. This is a quote by Matthew Henry. It says, The most plausible profession of faith without works is dead. As the root is dead when it produces nothing green, no fruit. Faith is the root. Good works are the fruits. And we must see to it that we have both. We must not think that either without the other will justify and save us. You know, I, I really appreciate uh, something that was shared in the leaders meeting earlier today. And I was in a study with uh, Rudy yesterday with uh, 
Scott Chia and a, a gentleman by the name of Chris. And it was just so incredible. Rudy shared at one point, I appreciate this degree of faith. There was an empty house in their, uh, in the track of homes that they live in. And he and his wife Yvonne were praying that someone would move in that would be open. And they knew that they would be. And that with that prayer, they'd have the opportunity to study the Bible with them, which they are now doing. And there's a gentleman by the name of Chris that's wanting to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. But, you know, the thing that's so key with that is what did it take? Did, did the prayer facilitate the studies? I think it was the catalyst. But they, they could have just prayed the prayer, and unless Chris invited himself into their home, would have anything have happened? You know, I mean, it, it took some action on their part. They had to invite them into their home, sit down to a meal. I mean, one of the things I appreciate about Rudy, too, is just his vulnerability. He is so real and open about his life. The challenges that he had before he became a Christian, the challenges he has as a Christian, but just this incredible degree of love that he has for God, his wife, and his kids, and how God has really taken care of him. And it's just great to see that, that, that coupling of faith and actions and what it accomplishes. Next slide. James 2, verse 19, says, you, have, you say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you! Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. You know, the thing that I find interesting about this, you look at the situation with the demons, Satan, you know, that whole denizen of uh, wonderful individuals there. Are they atheists? Are they agnostic? They have faith, though, right? Are they saved? You know, it's kind of like a message that a few weeks ago. Remember Echo the Parrot? I mean, Echo could say he's a Christian, right? To make him a Christian? And this is what we've got to understand about faith. I mean, not only do these guys have faith, they're trembling. And we know Jesus has some interaction with these guys from time to time. And, I mean, what did they do? They came out with shrieks. They were freaking out. Jesus, leave us alone. Jesus, go away. They totally had faith. They knew Jesus was the real deal. Didn't make them right with God. We personally have got to have a conviction about that. Faith in God, in and of itself, is nowhere near enough. I mean, this for me is one of the most incredible contrasts that you can have in the Bible. You have faith. Great. Guess what? The demons had faith. They trembled in terror. And he goes, James goes on, how foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. You know, this is really kind of cool. You go back and you read Genesis 15, verse 6. Abraham's having all this interaction with God, and God says, you know, man, you're awesome. You're righteous because of your faith. It's 20 years later that God called him up and said, hey, man, get your son, get some wood, head on up to Mount Moriah, the son that I promised you, and you need to sacrifice him to me. I mean, what incredible faith. And the faith was that he knew God would deliver him. It may have been a matter of him thinking he was going to experience the first resurrection of the dead there. After he sacrificed him, God was going to bring him back. But just that incredible willingness. And then ultimately we know Mount Moriah means that he provides, meaning God provided the sacrifice. But it was the actions of Abraham that stood out so much that God says that he, he talked about Abraham, Abraham is a friend of mine. How cool is that? Abraham is my friend. I mean, isn't that what we want to know, be known for personally? And it's not that challenging of a thing. 
It's just a matter of us adhering to what God calls us to through his scriptures. So picking it up there, it says, you see that his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened, just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Next slide. You know, I think the significance that we have to see here is that true faith is demonstrated by what we do. God looks at them together. It's that, that slide again, faith and deeds, mirroring the, the, each other, combined, both of them together. And I think ultimately understanding that if God looks to that, is it possible that our future depends on it? Let's take a look at the next slide. Revelations 20, verse 12. You know, and I, again, this can sound a little challenging, but I think the thing that we've got to understand is God's very forthright with it. It's right out there for us. And the thing that's so cool about the mercy, the reality of it, when it comes to the way we lived our lives, what is justice? Yeah, justice is getting what we deserve. And what do we deserve? Do any of us deserve salvation? And this is the thing that we need to rejoice in. This is the kind of God that we have, that He sent us His very best. Didn't matter who we were, how many sins they were, what the spectrum was, how bad they were. But Jesus Christ came to die for each and every one of us to meet us exactly where we were at and extend that hand of mercy to each and every one of us. Revelation 20, verse 12. says, And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of the things which were written in the books according to their works. Does this sound like faith is enough? Well, it can be if that faith enables us to embrace what God has established for us in the way that we're called to live our lives. But we can't pick and choose. We can't filter what God has established for us. And if you're, you're kind of, if you're wavering today, the thing that I put before you is, you need to get into your Bible. You need to spend some time reading God's Word. You need to take a look at the areas that you're feeling the most challenged by to see if the Scriptures hold true. And you know what? It's amazing the amount of time that we can spend on other things in life. I mean, I hear all kinds of excuses when it comes to why we don't have enough time to read the Bible, why we don't have enough time to really have a relationship with God. You know, I, I hit the, uh, I, I feel kind of derelictal in this and that I've lived across the street from the Redonda Library for over a year, and I went into it for the first time a couple of days ago. But I, I was blown away. I mean, there are like a gazillion audiobooks, and they're free. Uh, you know, there's DVDs, books, audiobooks. You don't have the time to read? You can go in and you can get an audio Bible for free for three weeks. Crank that thing on your commute. Download it to your iPod. Oh, did I say that? There's a brother I know that does that. I'm not going to name any names. But, you know, you run it on your computer. It just happens to be there in iTunes. You can play it on your iPod. We don't have excuses for not making enough time for God. And, again, if you're wavering in your faith, I guarantee you, I will put money on it. You're not reading your Bible daily. And if you are, if you're getting more than a verse or two during that period of time, I'd be shocked. Because the Word doesn't come back empty. 
The Word delivers. The Word is impactful. The Word is living and active. The Word is Jesus Christ. You know, we, we can contend, man, those early guys had it easy. They walked with Jesus. Well, I don't know how easy it was because they all ended up dying for it. I don't know that any of us are necessarily faced with that right now. But the, the bottom line is, we've got Jesus in the Bible, living and active today. It's just a matter of whether or not we're willing to go there. Whether or not we're willing to maybe set aside a little time from TV or sports or whatever it is that we're into and make sure that as Jesus says in the new law, the new testament, the gospel, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. That's the kind of God in heaven that we have. That's the kind of son of God that we worship that we have that's laid it all down for each and every one of us. A few practicals here on the next slide. Number one, actions and deeds. You've got to love God. What does that mean? How can we express that? You have a spouse. How do you love your spouse? If you've got good friends, how do you demonstrate that love for them? Is it a matter of spending time? You know, Chapman's got a book on love languages. One of those love languages is time. That's my favorite one. I don't care about the rest of the stuff. I want time with you. You're my family. I, I want that time. And sometimes I know it drives my kids nuts, but, you know, we're working on that. I'm, I'm getting some help from the likes of Marco and Henry Kramer and miscellaneous individuals to help me dial in some of my, my neediness in those areas. But when it comes to a right relationship with God, how do we maintain that relationship? We need to read the Bible. We need to be praying to Him. And in the areas that we need help, we need to be getting additional help from others in it. Next point, or next practical, discipleship. When it comes to walking the talk, the, the faith and actions, or faith and deeds, you know, does Jesus not call us to relationships? I mean, first and foremost with Him, but how much more so here? And I think making sure that those relationships are based on and built on the foundation that we have through the Holy Scriptures. You know, that we, we can have best friends, but it doesn't mean that if we see something going on in their life that shouldn't be going on, that because they're our best friends, we don't say anything. Right? And it's really making sure that we're willing to sometimes be a little confrontational. And the thing that I put before you, if you see an issue or a challenge, the best way to deal with it is to get into the Scriptures with them. Otherwise, you, you know, you may have some great things to say, but when, when someone's in sin or maybe not doing the greatest, it just becomes a little bit of gum flapping. And I, I don't know about you, that doesn't, that doesn't do me a whole lot of good. Somebody cracks the Bible open on me, though. I mean, what are you going to do? <laughs> I mean, it's God speaking. It's kind of hard to argue with that. So, you know, with discipleship, making sure that we're getting outside of our comfort zones. If you're in a new family group, you know what? You don't know everybody. How, how challenging is it to throw a barbecue and get everyone in your home? I mean, you know, you can go, you can go potluck style and it doesn't even really cost you a whole lot other than setting some time aside for it. But let's really go after that depth of relationship. You know, loving each other. Let's go after it in our marriages. Let's go after it in our parenting. Making sure that we're using the Word and that our actions match the Word. Amen? Next one. Actions and deeds when it comes to our neighbors. You know, we know that Jesus established the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then the second one is to do what? Love your neighbor. That's a commandment. That's something we're called to do. 
each and every one of us. It applies to all of us. You know, again, I appreciate seeing that with Rudy and Yvonne. I mean, they've really been going after it and making a difference in their neighborhood. When it comes to our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers, our classmates, you know, again, the thing that's going to win them over is the lifestyle. Are you excellent in the workplace? Are you excellent in the classroom? Not for just what you can get out of it, but realize that ultimately you answer to Christ. And I think there's many of you that have had those kinds of accomplishments where people see your work ethic. They see the way that you get along with your employer. They see the way you get along with other people. They, they've heard about the situation with your family. Some of you have had them over. Some of you are sitting here today because that's what took place in your life. You were curious about the way somebody conducted themselves and why they were happy or how they were able to work through some of the issues in their marriages that you knew that they had. And they're sitting in the same situation, throwing their hands up, ready to get a divorce. But by having our faith accompanied with actions, knowing what God has called us to, we can be those individuals that extend that mercy to those that are in need. And then finally, those with needs. You know, we saw that earlier in James. I think first and foremost, making sure we're taking care of our brothers and sisters in Christ within the fellowship. And it's been great just seeing the outpouring of love to different family members in here that have challenges, people going over and cleaning homes, making meals, welcoming new families into our area. I mean, this is awesome. This is what God calls us to. But even with that, there are needs outside of our church community that need help. And I feel we've made some great headway in the last year, but we need to keep going after it. I mean, a number of the community groups have ongoing programs that they're working with with the poor. Others, not so much. And just really getting a vision for how we can encompass and embrace what James established in every aspect of our lives so that we can truly glorify God in everything that we do. I've got a final quote that I'd like to uh, read here and bring this thing in for landing. You know, during the uh, Revolutionary War, there was a uh, Virginia convention that came together. And... Uh, there was a, uh, a group of soldiers in Virginia, and they were really tr- debating as to whether or not to send them into the fray because th- the fatality rate was just so incredibly over the top. The British had us outnumbered 10 to 1, uh, you know, as far as manpower, gunpower, food supplies, the whole bit. And uh, we're probably familiar with uh, Patrick Henry and his, his statement, give me liberty or give me death. I wanted to read this portion, uh, or, uh, yeah, this portion out of his speech. It says, they tell us, sir that we are weak, unable to cope with so formidable an adversary. But when shall we be stronger? Will it be the next week or the next year? Shall we gather strength by irresolution and inaction? Shall we acquire the means of effectual resistance by lying on our backs and hugging the delusive phantom of hope until our enemies shall have us bound hand and foot? Sir? We are not weak if we make a proper use of those means which the God of nature hath placed in our power. The battle, sir, is not to the strong alone. It is to the vigilant, the active, the brave. Patrick Henry, March 23rd, 1775. This was such a rousing speech that it took place at the St. John's Church in Richmond, Virginia, that it was credited with having swung the balance and convincing the Virginia House to send their troops into that battle. We know who ended up winning that thing, right? But, you know, I think just really understanding, it's the same thing with each and every one of us as Christians, as disciples. We have a formidable adversary today. His name is Satan. 
He's the author of lies, deceit. He looks to do anything he can to take us down. And we're in the middle of a spiritual battle. But you know, I think as we, we see in this passage, you know, when are we going to be stronger? Is it going to be next week, next month, next year? Is it a matter of waiting for the next generation to come along and, and get the word out there and change the face of the planet? Is it a matter of us taking a stand today and getting off of our backsides? And as it says in this passage, understanding that when it comes to the spiritual battle we're in, it's not to the strong alone. Strength without action is absolutely meaningless. It says the battle is to the vigilant, the active, and the brave. See, I believe what we're trying to accomplish in our communities and ultimately throughout the world, the battle will be won through vigilance. It will be won through action. And taking the faith that we have and the inspiration that we have through Jesus Christ and looking to that, and that being the thing that motivates us to take a stand and make a difference. You know, as we head into this new week, let's be sure that our faith is mirrored when it comes to our faith and actions. Amen? Thank you.